You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to this week's Mumbrella Cast interview. I'm Calum Jasper. This week, I'm chatting to David Lee, Chief Creative Officer at Squarespace for its in-house creative team. Lee speaks to me from his home in Los Angeles, where he spends most of his time, otherwise commuting to New York, where the Squarespace main office is based. Lee joined the website design startup in 2013 from TBWA Worldwide and has since turned its in-house studio into a creative powerhouse, winning AdAge's A-List in-house agency of the year in 2020, as well as winning an Emmy in 2017 for the brand's Super Bowl ad. In this discussion, Lee talked to me about the differences in working for a singular brand, how to keep progressing the work, working with superstar talent, creating global campaigns, and his observation of global trends following judging at Cannes this year. He joins me now. David Lee, Chief Creative Officer at Squarespace, welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, yeah, excited about this one. Brilliant. Well, it would be great for you to start off telling me a little bit about Squarespace from your perspective and uh, what attracted you to get involved with it. Right. Well, I think as one of the elder statesmen at the company, um, you know, I've been at this company for almost nine years, which every time I say nine years, it kind of feels like this is, uh, I mean, I'm almost at a decade. So um, I could definitely speak to you about why I came here and like the evolution of the company throughout the years. And that might be a good start. I think, you know, I, I met our founder and CEO, Anthony Castellana, I think almost almost 10 years ago. And I think it really has to start with him, like the Genesis story of, of like from him. He's a, he's a bit of a rare breed because he's an engineer by trade. But what I didn't realize is that it's someone who really surprised me because he had such an appreciation for creativity and design, uh, which was kind of rare when you meet kind of like tech founders who are engineers uh, themselves. And it, it was kind of odd because it really felt like that was baked not only in him as a founder, but it was already intrinsically baked into the company, like right from the start, right? He knew like right when he started this thing from the dorm room that like number one, the, the genesis story on why he created Squarespace was because back then, if you were gonna create a website, it was really hard, right? You had to take multiple products and services, you had to Frankenstein them together. And um, you know, ultimately he wanted to find kind of like a holistic integrated way for someone like you or I to be able to put something out like into the world. And that was pretty progressive uh, back then. But I think like number two was probably um, kind of the more insightful thing for, for maybe you and like the audience over here is that I think there was a, a genuine, genuine um, I think there was a genuine like observation that the web was a pretty ugly place back then. It looked like a junkyard of trash and on this thing that we call the internet. And he really wanted to clean it up and really be one of the first people to actually try and create an integrated platform, but also make sure that the end result and the artifacts that you put out into the world were actually beautifully designed and considered and thoughtful, right? So I think those two things were kind of like the catalyst from like why he decided, heck, maybe I should start a, a company out of my dorm room. Um, and I think like the, the amazing thing, so obviously for me, uh, I had been in the agency world for, for a long time. I, I actually even created um, a product that was quite similar to, to Squarespace almost by accident. So I already had like a little bit of a, uh, an itch um, that I wanted to scratch, right? From just being an entrepreneur and working um, 
on an actual product and company that you actually cared about. And um, I'm happy to say the mission hasn't changed ever since like those first conversations with it. So like when I joined the company nine years ago, Squarespace really spoke to the, to the creative community. Um, it was a web publishing platform that decided to make its mark super early on by focusing on what I would call like the people who are the hardest to please, kind of like creatives, right? So creative people, designers, photographers, filmmakers, illustrators, right? These are some of the most fickle people in the world, right? And the, the, the hypothesis there was that if you could actually please them and make them content about how their ideas were gonna appear out into the world, how the content would be framed and what have you, it'd be really, really easy to take those learnings and then apply them to different categories and industries, right? So that's kind of like where we started. And I'm really glad that that was kind of like right at the ethos of the company because it's kind of, we've kind of been on this journey and it's still there and it's still baked into everything that we do and like the lens on how we look at uh, our company and like the industry, like, like um, holistically, right? And the, I think that's a good jump to where we are today as a company in some ways like that mission hasn't changed but in some ways it's it's really evolved to a point where all we're trying to do is create modern cutting edge tools that allow people to not only just stand out online now but i think the web and like the world and the industry that we're living in right now has moved to what i call like the transactional phase of the web right so everyone is now selling online right they're selling on social they're selling on their website like they're selling in point of sale like in store right so everything is kind of like moved into this space and we find that really really interesting so obviously for us our e-commerce platform isn't just about selling physical goods right when we think that's really important but we also think that there's the next generation of entrepreneurs in this new economy is really going to open up this this opportunity for people to be their own entrepreneurs and be selling things um, in every single way possible, right? So people can now sell their time. You can schedule appointments. You can sell your own content, right? And put it behind a paywall. You can kind of monetize your idea in multiple different ways. And we think this is a really powerful moment in time where we have an opportunity to provide a set of tools that cannot democratize and allow people to put these ideas out into the world and make them successful. But again, not to sound like a broken record, our core ethos and the connected thread that has driven us, I think, throughout this evolution is that it doesn't matter how great your idea is unless it's presented out into the world in a beautiful way and it actually stands out against the crowd. So I think, you know, our evolution is still, the, it, it has changed our suite of tools and products and new products that we're, we're um, introducing every single day is, is changing, but the core is still there. Right. So I feel like I've been rambling quite a long time now, but that's that's a little bit about kind of what we do and where we are and where we're kind of going post 2021. So it's interesting because what one of the things I wanted to ask you was um, working for an in-house creative agency. You are constantly having to find new ways and new approaches to, I guess, sell the same product. But what that the advantage, as you've said, there is that you're selling an evolving product, which is basically adapting to whatever everyone else is selling. So I guess that's an advantage to you. How, how do you how do you ensure that you can keep progressing that and finding new ways to reinvent and reapproach your own product? That's a good question. 
I would say like, look, working at an in-house agency in some ways is exactly the same at working at a, an ad agency. And in some ways it's completely different, right? I think you, you raise a good point in that, you know, part of the reasons why I actually enjoyed and I wouldn't change anything of like the first half of my career being spent in kind of like advertising and design agencies, because the the beauty of it is that you get to live vicariously through all these different clients and brands and their problems, right? And everything is new. And you get to really gain a lot of insights about different industries. There's different briefs for different clients. And um, the, you know, when I told people that I was actually going to go in-house, to be completely fair, everyone thought uh, I would probably last a year and come come crawling back. And the, the number one feedback I got from, from everyone was, after a certain point, it's the same brand, it's the same product, you're gonna, and you're just going to be chipping away at this, and you're going to lose your creative momentum uh, because creative people have the attention span of a goldfish, they say, right? Everything, you like the new. Um, so trust me when I, when I went into this, there, there was that, that thinking in the back of my head that this wouldn't be forever. And this was just, uh, an entrepreneurial itch that I was, uh, I was trying to scratch and I'll, I would just take it year by year. But I think the, to your point, what has changed is that we've evolved every single year, year over year, the, the, the challenge is the same, but it's completely different right? The audience is the same. Um, and next year it isn't, it's broader. Um, and it's not just different categories and different, uh, different types of audiences, but it's also, uh, from different locations in the world, right. That have different local insights and different kind of, um, the right product market fit, et cetera. So the, the, the longer I've been on this journey, um, the more that every single day when I wake up, do I find a new problem that ultimately kind of that's like the activator for for creative ideas, right? Like we're problem solvers at the end of the day. It's just different that, you know, we're going very, very deep on one problem. And then it's kind of going horizontal at a certain point. Whereas I think in agencies, you kind of dip your toes in, don't really go deep, but you kind of go very, very horizontal, right? So it's a, it's a little it's a little bit of a reverse, I would say. But creatively, how, how I kind of like stay inspired um, working in an in-house agency, well, actually, let me, let, let me, let me add to that. The, the first thing I wanted to say to, to most people and whoever's listening out there is I actually don't think most brands should start an in-house agency. Um, uh, I think it's actually, it's, um, it's obviously something like today that people are talking about right? Like where the industry is going, you're seeing a lot of people in housing, they're, they're, they're creative, but um, I wouldn't do it unless um, you kind of have, you kind of know what you're, what you're going to, what you're going to walk into, right? And the, the, the reason why I say this is that Squarespace is from its founder, from its ethos, a creatively driven company, and its mission is a creatively driven mission. We're also a DIY product platform. We behave like a DIY company in everything we do. It makes sense for us to DIY our own creative and our own marketing because that's just how we've been built, right? And it's also what we 
provide as a platform for our customers. I, I, right? I so, had written down to say to you, it would almost be hypocritical for you to outsource your own creativity. One hundred percent. I'm I'm glad I'm glad you, you you picked up on that because, like, that's also part of the fun. That's the fun stuff, right? We're not just the thinkers; we're also the makers, right? This is like a product company. We we make our own product. We craft it. Why wouldn't we do that uh, on the other side of the coin? So. It's uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It would be very hypocritical, right? And there's also just um, I would say in terms of where do you get your creative motivation after working at an in-house agency for nine years, right? And is that part of like what we do that I think is interesting is that we we put our customers up on a pedestal like a lot in our marketing in our creative campaigns, and we've had you know, the opportunity to work with amazing, like small business owners to like artists, designers, to some really notable, notable, like celebrity talent, right? And there's a gradient in between. But, you know, the reason why we put our customers up on a pedestal is because a lot of times you don't actually have to come up with a new idea because our customers are making phenomenally amazing, thoughtful, sometimes weird and odd kind of things on Squarespace. And a lot of times we're just mining for like these insights and these stories and we're a megaphone for for their story. We don't need to make up everything, right? And I think that process, instead of living vicariously through different clients and different brands, where I get that from our customers, right? And some of these are brands, some of these are, are individual entrepreneurs, but I'm always amazed every single day at um, the 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 genius and some of the uh, really impactful things that our customers are making. So a lot of the job is just is almost being inspired every single day, and I think that kind of keeps the creative juices going for me. Yeah, and what in terms of then creating that work, what's the process? And you know, do you have an, a schedule in terms of you know with a with a normal kind of client agency relationship? It would be like, well, we we've, we've got this campaign coming out for this timeline or schedule or this season mm -hmm. how does that translate in terms of you know the channels you put creative out on or just in terms of planning i guess yeah another good question um i i think the 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 reason why it's worked out for us uh for in addition to all the other reasons that you know i just talked about is we have a really unorthodox org structure at Squarespace. So I'll give you an example for, for the team and the department I run. So, so creative um, reports straight into the founder and CEO. Like we're our own independent de department. Uh, we also have a world-class marketing department, but we're, we're, we're two parallel departments that intrinsically overlap. And like the, where the work is the best is when we hit that kind of like right in the middle of that Venn diagram. But I think it's this odd org structure that is the unlock for you know some of the um, some of the ways that we've been able to work and some of the great work that we've been able to put out into the world, right? So um, our CMO and I are kind of like two peas in a pod, and we're very very yin yang, and we have a very very close partnership um, that just works really really well. Mm -hmm. And it's up to both of us, purely from a you know thirty thousand feet in the air, to set kind of what the vision, what the strategy is for both departments. And really kind of like plan almost like a year ahead, um, like what's going to happen. So it, it'll be easier for me to kind of explain 
how this works with like a real world kind of example, right? So I would say 2021, um, 2020 and 2021 were the, um, some of the first years where we actively said that international was going to be a huge part and a huge remit of like what we were going to focus on. So typically in the past, we would create, you know, quote unquote, global campaigns uh, that we would try to like localize, like after the fact for, for different markets, right? And, you know, it's really in the last year that we decided that, you know what, I don't know if that that strategy works. So what we really need to do is kind of create more bespoke kind of like marketing and creative strategies for these different markets, right? So then we'll kind of look at which geos, which uh, markets do we think uh, we should be focusing on at, at, the, at the growth scale of where we are. We kind of isolate which ones we think uh, will work and we start to build like a bottoms up plan from those, really trying to gain local insights from some of our partners and the boots in the ground in these different places so that we're not um, blindly creating things from a North American kind of POV. I think that was really important for us. And, you know, one of the main reasons we, um, you know, just launched in Q2, one of our first um, kind of like campaigns for the Australian market that was really born out of real local insights um, using um, local uh, creatives, you know, like actually Australian creatives there to make sure that, um, you know, everything was kind of like on point. And uh, yeah, we were, we were really happy with uh, not only like the, the creative work we put out into the world, but it's actually been one of our most effective campaigns uh, that we've seen, um, you know, in the past few years. Uh, and so it's really kind of driven a good business for us, right? So that's a really great example of doing more of like a bottoms up kind of plan. And um, yeah, I think moving forward, we're really going to look at uh, other international markets and kind of like take the same strategy on on how we grow. Yeah, and will Squarespace always be based specifically? I know you you, you mentioned um, in our conversation just before we jumped on that you're the the head office is in New York, but then there was plans to kind of grow into or open a, a second smaller office in LA. Was it, will there be any more kind of outposts or? Well, I mean to. The, the good news is that we actually already have other outposts. We actually have a, an office in Dublin uh, that we've had for, for years. We have an office in Portland in addition to um, New York and, um, you know, this new venture that, you know, that I started out here in, in, in Los Angeles. Um, I don't have anything to, to uh, unveil about kind of like new offices um, or else I think Big Brother on this call would, would, would probably come. I would have someone knock on the door. But um, it, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a guarantee that we'll open up new office, but it's definitely something that we've uh, we've been we've been talking about, right? So uh, I will I will keep you posted on that. And then um, I I know you mentioned before um, with some of the kind of. Uh, bigger ticket celebrities that Squarespace is is known for working with. Um, to name a few, you know, you've got campaigns with Idris Elba, Jeff Bridges, uh, Keanu Reeves, a couple with John Malkovich. There was the Dolly Parton song, um, Oscar the Grouch, uh, which is a fantastic one. Um, would recommend looking that up on YouTube, uh, anyone listening in Australia. And then most recently, um, John McEnroe, obviously, with the, the US Open uh, coming up, well, 
finishing on Sunday. Um, each each strike a very different tone. You know, you've got the kind of emotive cinematic ones to the, the more humorous, which I, I know humor is is quite heavily played within um, your creative work. What, what's the kind of process in coming up with the pitches for these kind of these campaigns focused around a celebrity? Do they have any personal input? Yeah, I mean, we we don't always use notable notable talent for our campaigns uh but when we do i think we we have a couple of rules of engagement i would say i I think the first one is we're not just going to put and work and collaborate with anyone right they they have to kind of be what i call like a, a squarespace brand fit and i you know i can you can probably tell by some of the people that we work for and we worked with in the past that there's there's some sort of common thread uh, in in the types of people that we uh, that we work with. Um, number two, it would behoove us not to collaborate with these people creatively, right? And um, not to get their input on a lot of these different things, right? It's the same, like you know, the same way that when we work with a director, like a really notable director, and we've worked with you know Damien Chazelle just recently. We worked with you know Spike Jones in the past, like et cetera. It, it would be a shame if we really just told them exactly what we wanted them to do and, and for them to just execute uh, on, on our vision, right? So what I mean in, 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 um, in the simplest form is that what we like to do is give them an overarching idea and put the scaffolding kind of in place, but leave a lot for interpretation, right? And to be completely fair, sometimes... Um, some people want to be told a little bit more what to do and to kind of like, you know, put their own little input on that. And sometimes they have way more of a, an input right from the beginning mm-hmm. of the process of like, maybe we can tweak this and tweak that. And it's our job to, you know, obviously to be brand guardians uh, for our company, but it's also um, up to us to decide that, hey, maybe that idea actually is better. And it's a little bit sharper if we just kind of made a little pivot here and we kind of evolved it uh, based on working with amazing talent who are also creative geniuses uh, in their own right. So um, we, we, never, we never partner with people and look at it as a, as a, a client or agency to, to talent um, traditional um, kind of triangle over here, mainly because I guess we are the, the client. We, we kind of are. <laughs> the the agency at the same time and and you know what even like you mentioned the john McEnroe one uh that was when we actually decided to direct and produce in-house ourselves actually that that was the first time we've done that it's not the first time that we've done it but i think it's the first bigger kind of creative campaign uh with uh with really like you know someone we really were um uh such big fans of in john McEnroe. Um, that uh, it was the first big one, I think, that we decided to do to direct on our own. And look, um, were we a little bit scared to work with <laughs> McEnroe on this? Yeah, he's kind of like, he's kind of intimidating, right? I, I read and, that, uh, that he, he wasn't exactly like, uh, well, that you were kind of expecting the whole, can you, can you, you cannot be serious, John McEnroe to come in. Well, to be completely fair, he looked the part <laughs> of uh, the "you can't be serious" right, right from the get-go, from our from our first kind of like meeting with him. But um, he's a man of few words, and um, he's kind of a hard person 
to kind of like unpack, but he uh, was just surprisingly like uh, a professional in front of the camera. And I guess he has uh, a lot of, a lot of years being in front of the camera, but um, he, it, it, like some of the stuff was really spontaneous. He was, uh, he took it very seriously. He was very professional, wanted to do the best job, but some of those, some of the stuff that was in there, first takes, really? each shot, first takes, he, he did not have to go a lot. And mainly because we also didn't have a lot of time to, to, to create this mockumentary and, and, and this photo, sh this photo shoot of, you know, that we had to do, but, um, I, I'm, I'm really proud. And, you know, going back to your previous question of how do you keep yourself creatively like invigorated and constantly challenging yourself? This is a great example of it, right? We didn't have the biggest budget. We didn't have the biggest budget on this one. We didn't have enough time actually on this one. This was a serendipitous opportunity that fell into our laps um, with a collaboration with Netflix. And we just kind of see, we, we seized the day and said, look, if we're, we're going to do this, we're going to have to be really buttoned up. We don't have time. We don't have the budget. We're just going to do this to ourselves. And uh, was it a little scary? Yeah, absolutely. But it's uh, if you don't feel those butterflies in your stomach, it probably means that you're not trying hard enough, right? So, um, yeah, we're we're very pleased. And it's uh, again, it's not something that we're going to do every single every single time. We have no no plans on becoming our own director and production company for every, for every campaign, uh, that would be silly, but yeah, we might do this, uh, in the future as well on, uh, on a couple other things. Who knows? So J John was a bit more of a professional than maybe even some of the, uh, the actors that you've, uh, you've worked with. Let's just put it this way. Um, I, I've had the, I've had the pleasure to, it's really kind of a dream to, to work very closely with, you know, a lot of the actors, musicians and, uh, directors that you know, some of them that you've mentioned, uh, and they're they're all they're all unique, and and very very different. And uh, I think when I look at the the body of work that we've uh, that we've produced over the over the last nine years, uh, um, I'm I'm very proud. But again, um, that's kind of all. Every every time you put something out into the world, you can pat yourself on the back for for a night do a cheers but next day new challenge and we yeah. we still feel our best our best work is uh, ahead of us so so a lot of these these campaigns were um were these these ones that we're talking about here were for the, i guess for the super bowl um and you know, from my perspective growing up i only really knew about super bowl ads by watching compilations on youtube and you know i don't know if we have something w which would really compare um, in Australia here, but what, is there a different process that you approach coming up with a pitch or an, an, a creative idea for the Super Bowl? I guess it has to be bigger and, you know, more eye-catching. I mean, I think you're right. That's uh, that would be a good start. <laughs> to, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to make that bet and really, you know, put something out, you know, to that many millions of people and one of them, um, you, you won an emmy in 2017 i, I believe yep yeah we won uh best commercial of the year for our um john malkovich work uh our our, our super bowl campaign actually which is uh um a very very proud moment for 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 all of us but um yeah in 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 some ways 
look, what the reason why you do something like Super Bowl is for pure brand awareness, right? And you know, we we have a specific brand that has kind of like some innate qualities that we think make us different. And if you know, I think all of our Super Bowl ads and our campaigns have been pretty pretty different than what 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 you see uh, usually on on the big game, right? And I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying that it's it's uh, we have our unique stamp on it, and um, it's an opportunity to really um, make a lasting brand impression for hundreds of millions of people who are watching, right? And we don't do it because we're waiting for people to start a website, you know, in the second half right after <laughs> our air ads. You know, that's that would be kind of like idiotic. So. Um, really what we're trying to do is create a constant drumbeat year over year where we're top of mind um, on the world's biggest stage. Super Bowl is a very odd brief because it's a little bit of a game within the game. A lot of people love the adverts <laughs> on the Super Bowl. I think it's the one time of year where people actually want to watch yeah. the ads and there's a, there's a water cooler effect uh, to that moment. Um, I don't think we found anything uh, that has the same... Uh, characteristics attached to that. When do you act? When do people actually want to watch advertising? Right. So, it's a it's a unique challenge. Um, it looks like fun and games, but I can assure you, it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's a very stressful moment uh, every single year that we do it. But um, it's um, it's it's an amazing opportunity that we that we all have to be able to even even do this right it's um it, it's it's kind of like a dream and then sometimes it becomes a nightmare at the same time because you're you're working around the clock and you're trying to make it better but uh would we say no to doing it uh year over year if we um probably not but we never look at you know the next year forward if we're going to do it or not or or if we're going to guarantee to do it or not we've sat out some years and then we decided to come back so um yeah who knows who knows what's uh what's what's in the future here hey, it's funny because again looking at the comments and some of those the super bowl ads you know the common thread is the top comment is always something along the lines of oh this is one ad that i definitely had to look up and re-watch so i guess yeah. it is it is it does have that thread where you're kind of balancing entertainment and also um brand awareness um yeah but- I would also add that it's also the one kind of media moment and in a world that's become very, very hard to figure out from the media standpoint on how you actually um, reach your audience. It's probably one of the only one silver bullet ways where you can meet, reach such a broad audience in 30 seconds. Yeah. I would say, I don't know. World cup might be another one, but you know, like it's a, it's a, it's hard. I would say it's hard. So, so with, you know, with moments like this, where you have that ability for your ad to go viral and kind of be seen outside of the context Mm -hmm. of being an ad, do you think that advertising will go in that direction a bit more in, in terms of creating big viral moments as opposed to specific brand ads? Very good question. I almost feel like if I had the answer to that, I should probably be working in a different industry and I would be very rich. <laughs> but um, the 
Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think it, no matter what I say here, a year from now, it could it it could completely change. And I think the rapid clip at how things are changing in like the 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 era of um, that we're living in right now is you really just kind of look at you, you got to look at it kind of like year over year and and make smart bets about where you think you know the ball's going to be and um, you know try and do your best to you know, stay ahead of the curve. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it, I think it's harder to, in some, in some ways we have so much more data like at our fingertips, but in other ways, um, so does everyone else, <laughs> right? So I, I think from a, the creative challenge is trying to find a way to cut through somehow. Right. I, I don't believe every work has to be something that goes viral to get like organic impressions and like a PR halo for it to be um, successful. Right. I, I don't think like that's that should be the end goal. I mean, I'll take it <laughs> if it just happens to uh, to be the case. But, yeah, I, I think, look, the 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 media landscape is changing. The the creative landscape is changing. The advertising industry is changing, you know. The consultancies are, are adapting, right? Like the the whole the whole industry is kind of like a little bit of a flux, and everyone's trying to figure it out like their bespoke way in, um, you know, to try and make sure that what you're doing for your brand or your clients is is going to be unique, but also ultimately effective, right? So, I don't have a specific answer to that. Um, it was everyone thought back in the day that digital was going to be the transform transformational thing. Now all you see on digital are video ads right so everyone thought then social was gonna was gonna kind of like take over right and uh but in a lot of ways that what you're serving up even though you have a little bit more audience information right attached to it is still it's still kind of the same thing right it's you can serve like a like a video ad that might be a little bit more tailored now so but you know then people thought branded content was going to be the thing right but then it was like well do people organically want to watch branded content or is that a still a pay to play kind of a thing as well? Right. So I, I think what you're seeing is there's always like a big step function that's happening. Brands, agencies, consultancies, and what have you adapt. And it's all of our jobs to make sure that we're uh, educated on what's happening. And um, I think the second thing is ultimately what we try and do at least a couple of times every year, you got to take big bets. Some of this stuff won't have data and research attached to it. Some of it is still kind of like your gut instinct. And um, sometimes it works uh, and sometimes it doesn't. But I think the more important thing is like, it's the times where it doesn't work, where you actually end up growing the most and you start to learn kind of like what worked and what didn't. And uh, so, you know, everyone's heard the don't, don't fear failure thing, but Sometimes you actually really do need to fail, and that actually might be the biggest thing, the biggest learning uh, that you'll ever have, right? So it's a long, convoluted, kind of dodgy answer to uh, to your question, but uh, yeah, no, it's a good one. Um, thanks for giving me such a such a long and an insightful answer to what was a a pretty, I guess, pointed question. Um, I, I think just finally, it'd be it'd be really interesting, you know. We've, had such an interesting year with uh I, I know at the start of COVID everyone kind of started off in the same timeline but then 
you know, as countries opened up, some have uh, higher vaccination or quicker vaccination rollouts than others. You know, Australia was still in lockdown, but you were judging at um, at this year's Cairns Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be it'd, correct. It'd be really kind of it would be great to get an insight from you on um, how I guess that turned out in terms of global trends in work and if there were some I guess differences in the way advertising was approached across the globe. Sure. Well, I, I can tell you that it, it's it's always uh, an honor to to judge at these award shows. Um, you know, I we kind of looked at them as like um, the source of inspiration and, um, you know, as a, as a young creative, you know, you, you wanted your work to, to stand out even amongst the best and be judged by your, by some of the, you know, the industry's best. Right. So I have an utmost appreciation for, for all of these shows, uh, uh, obviously including, uh, including Khan, but as someone who actually ended up judging almost every award show this year, <laughs> um, and, and remotely, um, I, I had both the pleasure and the pain <laughs> at the same time too, um, because remote judging is it's it's just different than doing it in person. A lot of the the conversations and like you know like the those little fleeting moments and things are actually kind of what makes it special. You try and replicate that uh, doing it completely virtually, uh, but you're you're missing uh, you're missing a big part of it. I think. Um, and you know, they all kind of did it in their own different ways, but, um, I would say the biggest takeaway from not only Khan but like all, all of the different award shows was there was definitely a thematic trend around very purpose driven work, right? You're, you're, you're talking about audiences who, uh, were really going through some struggling times. Right, like the whole world was going through some some really kind of like struggling times, um, whether it's you know global pandemics that are still going on almost you know two years later to you know uh, social injustice unrest and kind of like movements that are happening you know there there's there's been a lot that's happened I would say uh, in the last uh, in the last couple of years so I would say um, there was definitely a thematic trend of doing work that um, was really purpose-driven, right? And and we've always, the industry has always done purpose-driven work, but some of it, to be completely frank, kind of felt a little, I don't know, it didn't feel genuine yeah. to, to be completely fair. And I think what, the, what you saw in a lot of the work that was entered um, in the past couple of years was that the it, it didn't feel like artificial um, generosity or, um, you know, purpose with like impact, right? This is, these were brands and, and work that were really trying to, to help and to raise awareness of, of things that, you know, the world should be, should be hearing about. So I would say that was one trend. I would say on the other side of that though, however, uh, another trend is that it was just, you didn't see a lot of fun work. It was, <laughs> it, it was, um, it was quite serious. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're, you're living in very dark times and bleak situations, uh, you kind of just want a a little bit of, I don't know, like a serendipitous laugh every once in a while or a little smile um, or, and I I would say that that's probably what I, what I saw the least, right. Is, uh, you know, some of the work in the past that was, um, that just brought a smile to your face or it was just, just fun. 
right? Um, and obviously we know the reasons why, but um, yeah, I think that's probably what I was the second insight is that um, I'm glad that I saw quite a bit of good work that was uh, th- through that lens, but I, I wish I saw a little bit more. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would say from a production standpoint, you know, you, I, I think what you're seeing are, was a lot more smaller tactical things that people were trying to do purely just based on the world, like shut down uh, where like, you know, some of the bigger kind of like more lavish glossy things that we're, we're, we're known to see at Cannes or uh, the one show or ADC um, uh, you, you definitely had those, but I think they were few and farther between. So uh, it made creative agencies have to um, uh, come up with a genuine idea actually, right? And the reason why I'm emphasizing a genuine idea is that, you know, a lot of times you have slick production and you have fireworks and helicopters and cranes and and things like that. But um, is there actually a clever idea in there? Sometimes not, right? But um, so I think that was like a third trend is that you didn't, you you saw a lot of work that had great ideas, but they didn't have to be big, uh, big productions to to kind of um, reach their audience, which I thought was a really good insight from these award shows. Awesome. Well, um, David Lee, it's been really great having you on the podcast. I know um, it's, it's very different time zones for us, but I'm happy we were able to uh, to set this up and have such a great conversation. Well, it's, it seems like we both still have sunlight, <laughs> even though we're we're across the world. So you picked a good time. Uh, it, it's it's been my pleasure and. Um, Love what you guys are doing, and I would love to. We'll love to come down soon. I haven't haven't been to Australia in uh, in a minute, so once the borders open up and what have you, uh, I would love to come down and, and, and say hi. Definitely, and same goes for uh, me coming that way. So, good stuff. Thank you so much, David. Cheers. Thanks. And there you have it. Thanks again to David Lee for joining this week's Mumbrella Cast. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you can be notified when we next drop an episode. Join us this Thursday where I'll be speaking to Nine's Chief Sales Officer, Michael Stevenson, about Nine's recent upfront, as well as the team discussing the week's biggest stories. For now, see you next time, and thanks for listening.